Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Church podcast. Visit us online at lifepointcentral.com. Well, a, a lot of weekends, uh, many of you will come up to me and, and say something like this. You, you'll say to me that, uh, that you appreciate um, that we take on deep topics and give you truth on them. And, <clears throat> I, uh, I appreciate those, those comments and, and that encouragement, and um, I just want you to know, you, you might not think that after I'm done this morning. <laughs> I'm going to start a new series this morning, and the series is called Havoc. Everybody say that together. One, two, three. Havoc. Havoc means to cause great damage. To cause great damage. And I got a lot to say today, so I'm going to jump right into it. But um, I'm going to teach you with um, conviction this morning, um, with compassion, but without condemnation. Can you all handle that? And um, here's what I foresee happening. I'm going I'm to... Um, Give you lots of revelation, and we're going to experience a um, corporate deliverance this morning, a corporate freedom this morning. <clears throat> so, so first week of a brand new series called Havoc. See, so where does Havoc come from? Well, the Bible says that the devil defined as your enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy or wreak havoc in your life, my life. So let's deal with him. Here we go. All right. Revelation, this is chapter 2, verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, and Thyatira is is modern-day Turkey. Um, This is written to the church in, in Thyatira. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. Look what he says about this church. I know your deeds. So God knows the deeds of our lives. He knows the deeds of our churches. And he goes on and he compliments this church. Your your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance, and you're doing more than you did at first. I mean, that's a good encouragement. God notices... um, God notices that the church in, in Thyatira is full of faith, a very persevering church. Um, they're busy serving, and they're actually doing more than they actually did at first. So it's a busy, um, faith-filled church. I mean, you know, that's good when God notices those things. Look at, another, look at the, the next line, though. Nevertheless, even though you've got a lot of good going on, um, look what it says. I've got something against you. I mean, that's not what you want God to follow up with all the good stuff with. You got a lot going on, but I've got something against you. Look what it says. You tolerate. Everyone say tolerate. Tolerate. Um, That means, this word tolerate means you are refusing to control something. But you are tolerating a woman named Jezebel who calls herself, God doesn't, but she calls herself some form of a prophet By her teachings, she misleads God's servants into immorality 
and eating food sacrificed to idols, which is idolatry. I gave her time to repent of this immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her also suffer intensely unless they would repent of her ways. And I will strike her children down. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will, will repay each according to their deeds. I mean, that, that's a pretty strong few verses. So who, who is this Jezebel that the Bible's talking about? Um, we have to go back to the book of 1 Kings to read the story of Jezebel. Jezebel was a Phoenician prince, and she was given in marriage to King Ahab. It was a political alliance, uh, an arranged political marriage. And so King Ahab, the Bible said this about King Ahab, that he did more evil than any king that preceded him. So he was the worst. <clears throat> Why was he the worst? Because she influenced him to, to replace Yahweh worship with Baal worship. Um, it said that she actually supported almost a thousand Baal prophets herself. And so um, she brought idolatry into um, into the midst of God's people. Her husband, King Ahab, was a ridiculously evil king. And the Bible tells us there was a showdown on Mount Carmel. And so the prophet Elijah went to Ahab and said, um, she's going to die and you're going to die. So she hated Elijah because God's spirit was on Elijah. His anointing was on Elijah. And so there was a showdown on Mount Carmel. I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but it was a miraculous showdown where um, Elijah basically slaughtered over half of her prophets. Slaughtered over half her prophets. So now she is, she is angry with Elijah. She's pursuing Elijah to kill Elijah. And uh, as we read the story, as it goes on, eventually Jehu killed um, Ahab, the king, and killed um, Jezebel and her children, threw her over a wall, the dogs ate her up, killed her children, destroyed, um, des destroyed Jezebel. So that's an Old Testament story. Um, when we come into the New Testament, we see that John the Baptist had the spirit of Elijah on him. And, and the spirit of Elijah is a spirit of restoration, especially restoring families, restoring people. So he had a spirit of restoration on him, and he confronted Herod because Herod at the time had um, unlawfully divorced his wife and married his brother's wife. And so um, John the Baptist confronted him over this sin, so it angered him. And so uh, uh, King Herod has this party. He's intoxicated. He gets aroused by his wife's 13-year-old daughter seductively dancing. He's so moved by this that he promises, I'll give you half the kingdom. Tell me what you want. Her mother asks for the head of John the Baptist. So Herod obliges and, and kills John the Baptist. So that's, it was a real woman in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see it, it's a spirit. Then we come to the book of Revelation, and this, this spirit is, is once again um, shown to us or portrayed to us. And I want you to know that on the earth right now, this is a spirit that's working. And over the next few weeks, I want to I talk to you about her children, because that's the spirits that are working. Um, what if I told you this spirit working on the earth is a spirit of fear right now? What if I told you, uh, have you ever noticed, like never before, the attention given to mental health? What if I told you this was the spirit behind it? 
What if I told you this was a spirit causing everyone to fall into fear and want to give up? We're gonna, I'm going to expose that over the next few weeks. So uh, a little bit deeper series um, than, than, than maybe where we've just been, but um, how, how many are ready to learn some good stuff? Um, so so, so it's, a, it's a real evil, evil, it's a spirit of witchcraft is what it is. It's an evil spirit. And this is what the spirit does, um, and you can remember it this way. Um, it manipulates, it intimidates, and it controls. It manipulates, intimidates, and co- the whole reason it wants um, authority is to control. How does it control? By intimidating and by manipulating. It, you may have been around some people who are very manipulative. Um, what that means is there's either a Jezebel attitude or a Jezebel spirit working behind the scenes. Uh, you say, what do you mean by manipulate? Well, manipulate can be seductive. It can be anger. It could be um, pouting. Just, but it's a manipulating spirit to intimidate, to control you. Here's the best way you can remember that. Manipulate, intimidate, control, MIC, the mic. If you give that spirit the mic, it's going to mess you up. So don't give that spirit the voice in your heart. Don't give it the voice in your life. And so the Bible is telling us, though, very clearly not to tolerate that spirit. And he's talking to the church who has a lot of good stuff going on, faith, perseverance, serving, activity. But God says there's something, nevertheless, that that you're doing, you're tolerating it. And I do think that even in our church today, whether it's out of ignorance or avoidance, we're tolerating some things that we don't need to tolerate. Let, let's read on in Revelation for just a few more verses. So verse 24 goes on, it says this, but I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, look what I said, I'm not going to impose any other burden on you. You just keep holding on to what you're holding on to until I come. So some are tolerating, some are doing well. And if you're doing well, the Bible says, I'm not putting any burden on you. You keep doing what you're doing. Faith, persevering, being busy for the Lord. But for those who are tolerating, there's a, there's a, there's a stern warning to us. And verse 26 says, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the very end, I'm going to give them, look what it says, authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter, will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I've received authority from my father, I'm going to give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches. So what that particular few verses mean is is this. It may sound a little confusing, but it means if if we'll recognize this Spirit, if, if we will repent of tolerating it, if we'll reject this Spirit, the Bible's very clear that we're promised um, greater authority. Thank you for the enthusiasm. Um, Greater favor. Greater discernment. How many could use some greater discernment, some greater favor, and some greater authority? Well, the Bible says if you and I will stop tolerating this spirit and and be like the ones who hold on and have a different spirit about us, the Bible says we're going to walk in a greater authority over these things. We're going to walk in greater discernment and greater favor. I don't know about you, but I, I, I want that. So in the, these very things I'm going to teach you over the next few weeks that her children represent, we can have greater authority, discernment, and favor in those areas. So, 
So, so during the series, I, I, I want to expose these things and, and, um, and deal with these things. We're, we're going to stop tolerating it in our church and give you revelation so we'll have greater authority, greater discernment, and greater, greater favor. Um, so a few months ago, at the end of last year in my journal, I started writing down some topics that I really felt like the Lord wanted me to just teach on this year. And there's a bunch of them. Some of them I've done already. Some of them we'll do as we go through the rest of the year. Can y'all believe it's almost June? About to get the Christmas decorations out. <laughs> so I was writing down what I felt God wanted me to teach on, and I wrote one title down and just wrote it down. And it popped back up to me, and then I went and found it in my, my journal, and, and I was going to teach on it at a, at a lift men's event, and God said, no, do it on a Sunday morning. And so here's, here's the title this morning, The Lie of Lust. The Lie of Lust. Now that you're all uncomfortable in church, because this is a spirit, the spirit of lust is one of her weapons. It's one of her children. It's one of the spirits working on the planet right now. You, you, you know why everything is so perverse and messed up right now? Because there's a spirit of lust from Jezebel working on the planet. Um, it's just gone from bad to crazy with a capital, a capital K. It's cray-cray. Seriously, have you ever seen such absurdity? It's the spirit at work. But, what, but the Bible, you, he, let me help you with this. Don't, don't be too freaked out by how the world acts because the world acts like the world. Because they've got a crazy father. His name's Satan. We act differently. We have a different father. But this same spirit can work in the lives of believers, can work in churches. And the only way it can work is if it's tolerated. The only way it can have footing in your life if it's, if it's tolerated. Have you ever just tolerated some things? I say, if you're going to tolerate it, you can't complain about it. If we're not going to deal with it, it'll deal with us. So I want to go back to the Old Testament, and let's, let's look at this, this spirit. This is um, 2 Samuel. Y'all doing it right? Yeah. 2 Samuel chapter 11 says this, in, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was hot. So David hit her up on TikTok, <clears throat> wanted to know who she was. And his men said, that's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her. She came to him. He slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness, and she went back home. Then the woman conceived and sent word to David and said, I'm pregnant. You know, the, the Bible reveals to us King David. We're all familiar with King David. King David um, 
We know from Scripture he was a poet. He wrote most of Psalms. We know that um, he was a giant slayer. Y'all remember that story? Goliath. Um, He was a great warrior. We read some other stuff about David. The Bible says this about David, that he served or he fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation. How many like that to be on your tombstone? That's in your obituary. I I fulfilled the purpose of God. That's a pretty strong statement. The Bible actually says something even better than that. It said he was a man after God's heart. Yet we see in Scripture that David also was a man who dealt with the lie of lust. And as I was studying this and reading this, and we, we, we know this story, what I'd like to share with you is what I think David did wrong, what he should have done, and what he did do to get it right. So what, what was it that David did wrong? Because David um, fell into the lie of lust. And I want you to know this morning, just because I'm talking about the topic of lust, this isn't just a message for men. This is a message for all of us, all ages, genders, yeah. all pronouns. <laughs> just, I'll behave. <clears throat> you ever wonder about the pronoun thing? I mean, we can identify, now think about this. This is from God. We can identify as all kinds of crazy whatever. But you and I have a hard time identifying with who Jesus said we are. That we're redeemed, that we're blessed, that we're right. Why do we have a hard time identifying with that, but we can identify with all this other stuff? That's not in my notes. Here we go. What did David do wrong? The first thing David did wrong was he dwelt where he shouldn't have. He was dwelling where he should not have been dwelling. The Bible says this, that all the other kings went to war. Like David, remember he's a warrior. He's known for being a warrior. He's a great warrior. He's a giant slayer. That's what began all of this. And he should have been at war. In the springtime, kings went to war because the winters were so harsh. They went to war in the spring. But David sent someone else in his place. And he dwelt so he should have been at battle, and there would have been no Bathsheba. So he's he's not where he should have been. Which brings up this thought. There's just some places we shouldn't be. There's just some places we shouldn't be dwelling. Because when you dwell in the wrong place, you're tolerating some things. There's some sites we shouldn't dwell on. There are some people we shouldn't dwell with. There are some places we shouldn't dwell in. This was the first thing David did wrong. He was dwelling where he shouldn't have dwelt. He said, well, what is this lust thing? Well, lust is desiring something outside the will of God. Or desiring, and sometimes it's something good, but it's desiring to get it outside of the will of God. And lust isn't just sexual, but, but it obviously obviously is. It can be other things. But it's a spirit at work. And, and here's, what, here's what, what lust does. I think I have a graphic for you. Here's what lust does. It isolates you. It always creates this idea of seclusion, secrecy. It always has this luring ability to lure you away 
into something private, into something seclusive, into something secret. So it isolates you, which is always a dangerous thing. What are we talking about? Havoc. When we get isolated, havoc happens in our life. Not only will it isolate you, it will frustrate you because lust will never fulfill you. It will only frustrate you. And then what will it do? It will contaminate you. It will lead to sin. It will lead to bondage. It will lead to shame. It will lead to unwanted situations. But this, was, this is what lust always does. And because David was dwelling where he shouldn't, he let himself get isolated. He ended up being very frustrated and his life got contaminated. The first thing that we see that David did wrong was what? He dwelt where he shouldn't be dwelling. He tolerated something. He tolerated this. He, he dwelt. He was tolerating, allowing himself to dwell somewhere. And we, we all act like King David sometimes. But this is what lust will do. The lie of lust. It will isolate you, frustrate you. And it will contaminate you. Here, here's the second thing that, that David did wrong is David dwelt on what he shouldn't have. Where he shouldn't and on what he shouldn't have. Let, let, let me help for you for a moment because we're all human, right? Yeah. We're, we're, all, we're all human. Even if you're saved and born again, you still have a flesh. And your flesh will be what? Tempted. Actually, the word tempt just means the lure. Like fishing, to be lured away. But temptation, let me help you. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is just, just the Lord. It, it wasn't the look. It was the linger that got David. It wasn't the look. Um, he kept looking, and that temptation turned into full-blown sin, and he began to inquire about her, and that, that's how... Now, now, here's an interesting thought, because a lot of theologians actually believe, because we can look at King David and be like, shame on King David, but a lot of theologians believe that Bathsheba played into this seduction. And the reason for that is because um, it's very odd that King David was roaming around the roof of his palace at this hour, and it was, it was not the right time for Bathsheba to be bathing. So some believe that this was a seduction playing itself out and whether it was all David or whether it was um, back and forth, he was dwelling on something that he, he shouldn't have. And I want to throw out some statistics to you because I think these are, these are eye-popping. Um, and we know that that men, the way we're made up, we're made up, we're aroused more visually, women are aroused more emotionally. Both of those play into this game. That's why I told you what some theologians say. But, but, but just, just, just think about this for a second. Every second, 29,000 people, every second, are viewing pornography on, online. That's $3,000 a second. That's $97 billion every year. 64% of men, 20% of Christian women. And I, and I read this statistic the other day that 60% of our young women now fall into that category. So it's not just a man thing. I thought this was interesting. The current generation thinks that um, not recycling is a bigger deal than pornography. It's a spirit at work is, is where I'm going with, with all of this. Um, 
25% of married men, 15% of married women are falling into marital affairs. It's 20% higher when you include emotional. So why am I bringing all this up? Because this is the world that we live in. Um, this is a spirit that's tolerated in our churches. And David, David dealt with this because he dwelt where he shouldn't. He dwelt on what he shouldn't. And here's the last thing he did wrong. David dwelt when he shouldn't have. When he shouldn't have. Eventually, David sent for Bathsheba. Um, he slept with her. Once again, there's a debate among theologians. Some say he raped her. Some say she was a willing participant. But, but I want you to know with David, this just didn't happen because he couldn't sleep one night. You know, sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and they seem so long ago. Or they seem so removed from modern culture. And they just seem like fairy tales. David just happened to be on the rooftop. Lady was taking a shower. Well, there was more to this with David because in David's life, he was tolerating some things that led to this. The Bible's very clear that it was unlawful for him to have all the wives that he did, yet he kept marrying these women and bringing them in. So my point to you, what this just didn't happen because of a rooftop in the wrong place at the wrong time. This was something that, that he tolerated in his life. And, and what happens is it will go from not be, or being where you shouldn't be, dwelling on what you shouldn't dwell on, to now he is in a full-blown affair with a married woman. And the trail that followed him in his life went something like this. He, he, he has this uh, affair with Bathsheba, so he, now he has to cover it up. So he brings her husband home from battle, and he sends her home to her so he'll sleep with her because now she, she's pregnant. It's King David's baby. But um, uh, Uriah, her husband, w w won't go sleep with her. He wants to get back on the battlefield. So then he gets him drunk to try to, and he still won't because he wants to get back on the battlefield. So now he has Uriah killed and sticks him on the front line. Well, now there's this baby. The baby actually ends up dying. And it, it, you just read on with the rest of the story of King David. It, 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 it's, it's crazy. Um, King Solomon, who was the wisest person, the Bible said, uh, whoever was, the Bible tells us about him. But at the end of Solomon's life, he said, all this wisdom is bunk. So he, he, and, he, and David had some say maybe, um, maybe a little under 100 wives. Solomon had like 1,000. Dude. I have one wife. It's a full-time job. It's a full-time job to be emotionally stable, comforting, and supportive. If you have to do that 1,000 times, that's a whole different spirit at work. But are you getting me like, okay. So in other words, this lust has a way of growing and expanding and being even more destructive. There's a, a whole other story with King David that his, his uh, one son rapes his other daughter. He doesn't do anything about it. Now there's this family feud and turns into trying to take over the kingdom. In other words, this, this produced uh, an onslaught of consequences. All because why? King David, who's a great warrior, a man after God's heart, fulfilling God's plan in his generation, Giant slayer tolerated the lie of lust. If we tolerate the same thing in our lives, it brings the same destruction. Let, let me read to you another scripture. This is 1 Thessalonians. This is chapter 4. Anyone ever want to know what the will of God is? It, it says right here, it is the will of God that you should be sanctified. I mean, that's a big word. How many use that word this week? 
Uh, There are three types of sanctification. It's a Bible word. It means to become separate. But there there are three types of, this is just theology for a moment. There are three types of sanctification. There is what we call positional sanctification, which means the moment you got saved, Jesus positioned you and you were justified. He positioned you in a place of sanctification, set you apart. Anyone glad about that? Um, There's another uh, type of sanctification, which we call perfection, which when you get to heaven one day, you're going to be completely sanctified. So there's positional and there's perfection. In the middle, there's progressive. Aren't you all glad you came? Everybody taking notes, right? Um, There's progressive. Here's what that means. Every day, you and I have to make decisions to become progressively more and more set apart from the things of this world. One day, you'll be completely perfected in it. He put you in a position But every day we need to have a relationship with Jesus where we're making choices and decisions to set ourselves apart, to live more and more set apart for him. That's the will of God. So if you you came in today and and you're like, I don't know what the will of God, I just told you what the will of God is. The will of God is that you and I should be sanctified. That you should, and it goes on, it tells us we should avoid immorality. This is the Greek word porneia, which basically means to consort a a prostitute. It's anything sexually outside the will of God. Verse 4 said, each of you should learn to, look what it says, control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate what? Lust. Like pagans who don't know God. Verse 6, and in that manner no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister, the Lord will punish those who commit these sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to do what? Live a life, a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects these instructions does not actually reject being human, but they reject God, the very God who gives us his spirit. These are God's instructions for us to live set apart. And he said, we need to live pure lives, holy lives, set apart lives. Amen? But there's a different spirit working on the earth. So what should David have done? I didn't want to preach you a message where you should do this. I want to say, what is it that David should have done? Well, I think David should have stopped making provision for his flesh. Did y'all get that? Because what are we talking about? Don't tolerate these things. So he should have stopped making provision. Aren't we really good at making provision for our flesh? Let me give you a little side example. Anyone ever said, I'm going to lose weight? <laughs> you know what the battle in losing weight was? You want to provide your flesh. And you do really good for like two days. I mean, you go out, you buy the new running shoes, you got, you got the, new, the new shorts and workout gear, and you're, you got the new water, bo- water bottle, you got the thing where you can stick your little phone and your earphones. In two days, you're awesome. And then you're just watching TV one night, and it's nothing but Pizza Hut, Papa John's, <laughs> Chipotle. And there's this battle of what? Provision for your flesh. Because we, we like to create what? Provision for our flesh. This is what David did wrong. Because it didn't just happen because he wandered on his rooftop. He was, he was buying into the lie of lust. He started making provision. He wasn't where he should be. He dwelt where he shouldn't be dwelling. And, and even in this, the Bible tells us we need to not make provision, not just in our actions, but also in our thoughts. Jesus said it this way. 
Jesus said, because we know that the commandments, the original law said, don't commit adultery. And Jesus said, I'm saying to you, even if you think it, you've committed adultery. Well, what was Jesus saying? Does that mean it's the same? No, it doesn't mean it's the same. What it means is that's as sinful as the other. It's all sin is what Jesus was saying. So what about our thoughts? How many know things? We don't just do stuff. Everything starts in what? Our thoughts. That's where the spirit of Jezebel begins to work, to manipulate your thoughts, to intimidate your thoughts, to control your thoughts. That's where the spirit works. So don't make provision, especially just even in your thoughts. Someone say amen. amen. I put this down because I thought this sounded good. Y'all ready for this? The longer he dwelt, the weaker he got. Remember, David kept adding wives. He kept adding concubines. This was an ongoing problem that he had. And he should have done what? Established some safe boundaries. Why? Because he was human. You know why you need some safe boundaries? Because you're as human as King David. And you know what? In your life, I'm sure there's some giants you've slayed. In your life, I'm sure there's some things for God you've fulfilled. And in your life, I'm sure that you have a heart for God. But could there be some areas of our life, especially in this area, that we've just tolerated? Some things, some areas, when we should have some boundaries. You know what the best boundary is? Is to confess it. Become accountable. Your flesh hates accountability. Your flesh hates confession. Your flesh likes to conceal and isolate but if you can confess and not conceal, there's a level of freedom that comes with that. And how about this next one? Practice fleeing temptation. Have you ever thought about that? That's what the Bible says to do. I put this down. I thought this was good. Keep fleeing and start pursuing some new affections. What if we practice fleeing temptation? I got to be honest with you. I'm the guy who likes to get to, to as close to things as I can. If there's a line that says, don't cross this, I'm like, <laughs> you can ask my wife. She's like, she's like way over here. There's the, li the line's a blur to her. She's like, we're going to be safe. I'm like, we're going to live on the edge. <laughs> but how many know spiritually that's dangerous? But what if we practice fleeing temptation? I'm going to stay as far as away from that as I can. I'm going to be as accountable as I can because I don't trust my flesh. And I don't trust the spirit that's in the world. And that spirit that's in the world can creep in if I talk. The only way it gets victory in your life is if you and I tolerate it. Have you ever just had some stuff in your life? That's it. I'm done tolerating that. Well, we need to do that with these areas of our life. I'm done tolerating. That's all, Jesus, that's all Revelation says to do. Stop tolerating it. Look at someone and say, I can do this. Stop tolerating that. Proverbs says you can't heap coal in your lap and not get what? Singed. Now, this is good. Someone better say amen because this is revelation here. You ready for this? He fed it when he should have fled it. Y'all. He fed it when he should have fled it. Now, listen to this because this is scriptural. And you've been saying some wrong stuff. Pastor, pray for me. I've been fighting this temptation. The problem is you're not supposed to fight temptation. You're supposed to flee it. I'm going to say it again because that was real good. 
That was better than your amens were sounding. I'm just trying to help you this morning. He fed what he should have fled. What if he'd have been off at war? There wouldn't have been a Bathsheba. What if he wouldn't have lingered? There wouldn't have been all of this. Bible says we flee temptation. Don't fight it. Flee it. We read it in Corinthians. Flee it. Flee that direction. I go the other direction. Flee. We flee it. Elbow somebody say, this is good up in here. Y'all getting something good this morning? This is just week one. Vanilla, let me help us. Because I think, I think everybody in here is felled in this area. I think all, all the guys have felled in this area. What did David get right? Because how could David do all of this, get on this, yet God said, that dude, that bro right there has a heart for me. Wait a minute. Okay, he killed the giants. I get that. A lot of the Psalms were written out of his repentance. But yet God said, he fulfilled his call. But yet God said, he's got a heart for me. How's this all fit together? Because David got something right. Although he did something wrong. This is what David got right. David repented. Now, but we have to understand repentance because we throw that around like a magical spiritual word. Here's what repentance is because there comes times in our life when we realize we've been tolerating some attitudes and some actions and some thoughts and we need to repent. And here's what repentance is. It starts with remorse. We realize, maybe after a message like this, maybe after reading, after the Holy Spirit, we, we, we have remorse. It, we can call it guilt. Guilt's good. Because that remorse should lead us to confessing that thing. So it starts with remorse, but then we turn from it. Repentance. I feel remorse, so I turn from it. But here's where we miss it. It also includes turning to something. True repentance, I feel remorseful, I'm going to turn from it, but I've got to turn to something. Remember back in the day, some of y'all remember this, just say no to, just say no. The commercials were everywhere. We're saying no to everything. No one said what to say yes to. Because your flesh has a hard time saying no. How many be real honest with me? If it says don't do this, how many there's something inside that's like, I wonder if I can do this. <laughs> Who's on my side? <laughs> it's on the side of the Lord. Let me see. The rest of you have a lying spirit. We'll deal with that in a few weeks. <laughs> so what this means is we can repent, turn from something turn to something. But this is the coolest thing about God because what comes with lust that is so damaging in our lives is shame. You know, there's a scripture that we all like to quote when we're dealing with sickness and 
in Isaiah, and it says this, that he bore our sickness. How many have ever used that scripture? He bore my sickness. But you know what it also says? He bore your shame. Not just your sickness, but he bore your shame. Because what comes with that spirit is overwhelming guilt and shame. Come on, somebody. And I need to say a couple of things to you. This is good. I, I need a, just a few more moments. You've you got to get this. Because if you've dealt with this, this is what the Lord told me. He said, for some of us, this spirit is a distraction. And it's just distracted us. But for others, it's been a detour. And it's detoured some of us. And even for others, it's been a dead end. It's brought you to so many dead ends in your life. And he also said this, that there are a lot of us that have, maybe the lust is in our mind. Some of us, the lust is in our heart. Some of us, it's in our eyes. Some of us, just even in our lives. And God brought me back to that shame thing. and He wanted me to tell you this. I put this down just like he said it. God doesn't define you by your mistakes. Or see you through the lens of your failure. He actually forgets. How about this? This will blow you away. God's greater than your sin, and he has not changed his mind about you. Your sin, your lust is no way, any way, shape, or form greater than God's thoughts about you. And you got to hear this. Your purpose still remains. There is no sin, no action, no problem that can take away the purpose of God. The Bible says the purpose of God, the gifts of God, the calling of God is irrevocable. You can't outsin it. You can't outsin the purpose of God. Now you can shelf it, you can cause it to be an idol, idol mode. But come on, how many know that's good news? Your purpose still remains and your purpose is still stronger than that sin. But the, the enemy wants you to believe that your sin has derailed you from God's will. It may have gotten you off track, distracted, detoured, whatever. But man, according to, according to Isaiah, this is what the Bible says. This is so awesome. He said, for your shame, has anyone ever carried some shame? For your shame, it actually says, I'll give you honor. It actually is crazy enough, it says, I will give you double honor. So God wants to do a double blessing this is what David got right. He understood, I have to give, I have to repent. I, I, I have to confess. I, I have to give this over to God. And I will trust in return that what God's going to do is pick up the shame because he took it to the cross and he carried it for me. And he's going to make my purpose alive again. He, he, he's going to do that. Are y'all getting it this morning? This, this is the will of God. But there's a real spirit at work. There's a real spirit in the world at work. And what Jesus said in, about the church, church people, is you're full of faith, you're persevering, you serve, you're a host at the door, you're in the park, you, you serve really well, and you're busy. But I got something against you. You're tolerating that spirit. 
my challenge for you and I today is it's time to stop tolerating that spirit. You say, but that's a strong spirit. That's a strong spirit. But all he is saying is stop tolerating it. Stop tolerating it. Mm, Isn't this good? I want to read something to you from Isaiah. I'm sorry, from Psalms. Sometimes I put things at the end of the notes and I read them because I want to, they come to me later before I get here on Sunday and I want to make sure I say how I put them down. It's time to make up our minds that we're going to honor God with our bodies and maintain our purity. Let's make purity popular again. Because if we don't, we're going to be at the mercy of our flesh. We overcome and or are overcome by our flesh, depending on what we choose to say, what we choose to listen to, what we choose to look at, and what we choose to do. Come on. We're going to stop tolerating that. Can you all stand with me this morning? David wrote this in Psalm 51. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but I just want to read a portion. After David repented and he asked for the mercy of God, David said this, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Because he knew. He gave in to the lie of lust, and he asked God to purify his heart and renew his steadfastness. Those are the two things that lust intends to destroy. Steadfastness, the confidence, the clarity of your heart and your conscience. And he goes on, he says, God, don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me. But instead, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Grant me a willing spirit that doesn't tolerate these things to sustain me. Isn't that a good few verses? Create in me a pure heart, sustainable spirit. What I would like us to do just for a moment is, is sing this song. I'm going to come back up. We're going to do we're going to do a big prayer together, massive prayer together. I'm going to believe God's going to set this place free this morning. But can we sing? This is an old school song. Can we just make this a song of repentance, a song of purpose this morning? Create in me a clean heart.